Welcome to episode seven of Ask Concussion Doc. I have here with me a fancy glass trophy. And uh, this is something that we won, uh, Complete Concussion Management won at a conference we were at in the UK. Uh, we were in London last week for uh, the COPA series as well as the Elite Sport Expo. And out of that conference, there was probably, uh, I think it was about 250 different companies there. And um, before we went there, we got voted as finalists uh, for the most innovative company award. And, um, and when we were there, they came by and we had a couple minutes to pitch our idea uh, and what our company was and, and, and kind of what we do with concussions in sport. And uh, they asked a bunch of questions and they came back after and uh, presented us with this nice, fancy trophy. So uh, awesome to have the recognition uh, across the pond. I think it was great. It was our first time in the UK. Uh, and I think the interest was there from, from everyone, both from a, from a sport and coaching aspect uh, to an athlete uh, perspective, as well as for uh, the therapists and, and physicians in the UK. So uh, really good to see um, the, the English folk uh, really take to uh, this, this program. So we're excited to be in the UK and uh, look forward to kind of working with everyone over there for the next 100 years. There's our trophy. Okay, so today we have a couple questions, uh, and we've been getting a lot of people sending in questions, which I think is great. Keep them coming. Uh, we always look forward to uh, answering the questions for people. Uh, I think this is a great way for therapists and various medical professionals to learn about uh, concussion and some of the kind of questions you might have about cases. So the first question comes from ERS Physical Therapy, and the question is, how would you deal with managing spasms related to treating whiplash but creating increased dizziness from concussion symptoms. I'm not under. I'm not exactly sure. I understand the question, um, but let's talk about whiplash causing dizziness. So I'm guessing, and I may be wrong on this, but I'm, I'm assuming the question is related to somebody having whiplash and has spasms in their neck and also has dizziness. So. Obviously, spasms in your neck can cause their own pain and things like that, but also the, the muscle tissue and the receptors in the muscles and receptors in the joints. We're really having a tough time today. All right, concussion doc just fell off, but we're back. Um, so the receptors in the muscles, receptors in the joints, kind of your proprioceptive mechanisms, uh, they are what allow... Uh, or they are what signal to your brain kind of where you are in space. So similar to other orthopedic injuries, if you were to have an ankle sprain, for example, that injury can damage some of the, some of the spindles and Golgi tendon organs that make up the proprioceptive mechanisms around the ankle joint, which makes it more susceptible to spraining again, because when you're about to roll your ankle, those mechanisms, if they're intact, will kick in and allow your, your muscles to, to automatically contract in the right way to keep your ankle level. Just hold it. <laughs> if, if, however, those mechanisms are impaired, um, you're, you're more likely to continue to roll your ankle and sprain it. So the same thing goes with our neck. Actually, your neck has the most and the highest density of muscle spindles and Golgi tendon organs in your entire body next to your fingers. Right, your fingers have the most, next highest is actually your neck. And the neck tells your brain a lot about where you are in space. So 
you have three systems that make up your vestibular system to teach you or to tell you where you are. One is your visual system. Number two is your inner ears and your vestibular apparatus, your semicircular canals. And the other one is the muscles and joint receptors in your neck. So those three systems have to be congruent and telling you the same thing in order for you to feel level and okay. If your eyes are telling you that everything is level and your ears are telling you that everything is level, but your neck is all tight and spasmed in certain areas, the signal that's going to your brain is that your head is like this. So now your brain goes, well, I don't know who to believe here. So if you turn your head really quickly, well, your eyes see what's out there, your inner ears will feel that turn, but then your neck will feel something completely different. So the neck gives you a lot of input and information about where you are in space. And so people that have spasms in the muscles of their neck can have dizziness. And this is called cervicogenic dizziness, okay? One of the potential causes of dizziness following concussion injury. Now, the reason why the neck can be in a spasm is just from the injury itself as a protective mechanism, sometimes muscles will go into a spasm to try and keep things stable. Oftentimes it's also reactive to joints being irritated or slightly displaced where they're not uh, functioning properly. The first step of movement, uh, you have little muscles that surround your joints that are responsible for stabilizing the joint so that you have a stable base to push off of. So that if you're going to contract a muscle, let's say you're going to throw a baseball. The first thing that has to happen is all the little muscles around your rotator cuff have to engage, set your shoulder. Your scapula has to control itself as well. Then you can cock your arm and follow through and throw. And that's how you generate the power. The problem is if the shoulder is dysfunctional and it's not sitting right in the socket, all the muscles that are meant to stabilize the shoulder can't do their job appropriately. So then the prime mover muscles, the bigger, stronger muscles that are normally meant for force generation, they have to step in and then become stabilizers. So what ultimately happens then is you get a weaker throw because the prime mover muscles are now acting as stabilizers. Well, the same thing happens in your neck. All of those little tiny muscles that are around the joints to stabilize it, if there's some sort of dysfunction there, either from a previous injury, postural limitations, whatever you want to call it, the muscles that are normally the prime mover muscles, the bigger muscles that are out, out towards the outside, like the SCM muscle, uh, the splenius capitis muscle, the rectus capitis muscle, those are sorry, the uh, semispinalis capitis muscles, those bigger muscles that are normally dedicated to be prime mover muscles. If there's a dysfunction in closer to the joints where things aren't sitting right, posturally there's a fault, whatever, those muscles aren't working properly. And so what happens is the prime mover muscles will jump in and go into a spasm as a protective mechanism. And so you ultimately have this spasm. So that alone, that spasm can cause that dizziness, uh, but also the fact that all the little muscles underlying that uh, are not giving the correct signals because they're dysfunctional because of the joint impairments. Uh, they can give your brain the sensation of things being you know, off. And normally people with dizziness after concussion don't, feel that the room is spinning. They don't feel like they have vertigo necessarily. Generally, when you talk to concussion patients, it's more so of a, I just don't feel quite right. You know, when I'm driving in my car and I shoulder check, I get a quick split second of, whoa, 
that didn't feel good. Or when I'm walking upstairs, I have to grab onto the hand railing. Those are all signs that, that it's not necessarily a vestibular problem, but it's more likely to be uh, of this kind of cervicogenic type mechanism. Now, I'm talking a lot <laughs> about this question, but really the question is, how do you deal with the spasms, okay? The spasms themselves, like I said, are mostly, in, in my understanding of it, mostly due to underlying kind of deeper joint dysfunction. If you have tight muscles and you go and get a massage, you may get temporary relief from that massage only to have the spasms come back again. And the idea behind why that might happen is that if there's still that underlying joint issue that's deeper down in your neck, let's say one of the facet joints is inflamed and restricted and not moving properly, so you get this, this, this painful inflammatory response that happens inside the joint, well, that is going to cause all the muscles in the area to kind of go into a spasm to protect that joint. So if I go in and work all those muscles out and that joint problem is still there, well, what happens is all those muscles just come right back and end up tightening back on it within a day or two. And now you're right back to square one. So managing the spasms, I think, has a lot to do with applying manual therapy techniques. Uh, I do some acupuncture on those quite frequently. But it's also trying to correct the dysfunction that's leading to the joint impairment, whether this is mobilizations of the joint, whether or not this is uh, rehabilitation, um, working on kind of deep neck flexor work or joint positioning error, um, whether or not this is like a high velocity, low amplitude thrust of the cervical spine. Um, so to actually uh, manipulate that facet joint to open it up um, and, and restore kind of get rid of that inflammatory response, get some recycling of the uh, synovial fluid within the joint and helping that out. That would be the way to reduce kind of the spasm that's happening around it. Long-winded answer. Uh, next question, how do you manage tinnitus? So tinnitus is the ringing in people's ears, kind of constant drone of in the ears. Um, how do you manage tinnitus and dizziness caused by post-concussion syndrome? So tinnitus, um, you have to make sure that it's not something kind of underlying. There's a few causes of tinnitus that could be kind of more of a neurologic uh, finding. Um, it also could be completely benign uh, and just can happen randomly. I know that there's periods of time where, uh, you know, random patients will go through kind of slight periods of tinnitus. Um, uh, when it's with dizziness and stuff, so one of the conditions um, that, that can happen is kind of a Meniere's disease, uh, which is constant tinnitus. Um, for that, if somebody comes in with tinnitus, um, and dizziness, my first goal is, well, let's see if we can get rid of the dizziness and whether or not that's um, vestibular rehab, whether or not that's you know, getting them exercising, whether or not that's uh, managing their C-spine dysfunctions and kind of figuring that out. Sometimes the tinnitus will just go away over time. Um, there's no real treatments. Um, if there's an underlying kind of more medically based cause of that, that usually warrants further investigation. So if somebody comes in and they have... Uh, tinnitus is a primary complaint. I'll generally send them to uh, an ear, nose, throat doctor, specialist, um, or uh, an audiologist to try and see if there's something else underlying why they're having tinnitus. If that comes back negative and there's no real kind of pathological reason for, for uh, that, then there really isn't much for treatment. 
Um, I've had patients before where if I do adjust their upper cervical spine, they'll report that their tinnitus goes away, uh, but that's purely anecdotal. There isn't really much evidence um, on that. Uh, in terms of the dizziness, that's that's vestibular rehab, neck treatments, exercise, all the standard kind of post-concussion rehab tools in your toolbox. Um, tinnitus is one of those things that's very annoying for a lot of patients. Um, very, you know, it just there's not really much for treatment, and it may or may not go away on its own. So that's the answer. Um, the final thing we have is a study. Uh, so this is an interesting study on uh, the prevalence of musculoskeletal injuries following concussion. So this has been studied pretty heavily. I'm just going to open it up here so I get all my facts straight. Um, but this is something that's been studied heavily in um, college and professional sports. And we find that after concussion, it recovers and patients are sent back into the playing field. Uh, they have a higher prevalence of injuring their lower limb. So ankle sprains, ACL tears, hip issues, quad tears, all the different stuff. And this increased prevalence has been reported mostly in sports, but this particular study I'm going to talk about is dealing with military. So high-level athletes, they have found, previous studies have found anywhere between about a 50% a, a to a 250 to almost a 400% increase in the risk of lower extremity injuries following concussion and return to play than uh, when compared to people that have never had a concussion. Um, the idea of why this might occur is due to ongoing neuromotor issues, potentially, you know, they're not fully recovered, even though their symptoms are gone away. Maybe there's still neuromotor issues, gait imbalances, postural stability issues, reduced reaction times. Um, this is kind of one of the ideas, and maybe one of the things we should be focusing rehab on um, and return to play on is assessing for uh, risk factors for lower limb issues. So whether or not that's doing, you know, um, you know, jumping from the box or looking at uh, medial knee deviation or whether or not that's getting people to do functional testing measures, the FMS things or uh, injury prediction um, you know, testing as part of return to play, I don't know. That's another, that's another question. So this study, anyway, took a different approach, and they looked at the military because they're not high-level athletes. They're more representative of kind of the, uh, I don't want to say average Joe, but they're more representative of um, regular people because they're not going out and running and cutting and doing all the things that an athlete would do. They're more, um, they're more you know, marching and doing kind of field training and office-type stuff and, and kind of around more uh, – more comparable to, to a non-athlete, I would say, than and to, a, to a high level uh, soccer player or football player. And so at the end of the study, um, they had 23,000 people. So a huge sample, and which is why I grabbed this one. And they split them into uh, those with a concussion, so they had 11,000, and then they matched those with a concussion to those in the military that have never had a concussion in their life. Those with a concussion, it was their first concussion. So they've never had a concussion before. Here's their first concussion. Then they have the group over here that's never had a concussion before. Um, and they followed them for, I'm just going to look it up here, uh, about five years. 
So uh, 2005 to 2011, so, 2000, so six years they followed these people. And um, what they found was that any period within two years after concussion occurred, the concussion group had a 38% greater likelihood of suffering a subsequent lower extremity injury compared with the non-concussed group. Um, so pretty interesting findings. Uh, the conclusion was the rate of lower extremity musculoskeletal injury among this population of physically active adults is higher following concussion and the risk remains elevated for more than a year following injury. They found that the actual, um, the height of the increased risk was between 12 and 15 months following um, injury. Now, one of the limitations of this is that maybe the group that got concussed is more likely to be a risk-taking type of group. Therefore, if they're engaging in more dangerous behavior, that's potentially what caused their concussion in the first place. And also that's possibly what led to subsequent injury afterwards. So we don't know necessarily that it's the concussion itself causing the injury or whether or not it's the, the kind of um, personality of the individual, right? Like if you're a football player and you're a more high risk taking individual and you put yourself in harm's way and you, you play hard no matter what, you may be more likely to get concussed and also lower extremity injuries. So it may just be a one-off kind of correlationary um, thing where it's just a coincidence that this happens based on interpersonal things with each, uh, with each person. But um, we don't really know and it's really hard to study that. They actually suggested that as being one of the limitations of this study that it's almost impossible to, to study someone's uh, predilection for dangerous behavior. Um, so yeah, so that's it. Increased lower extremity injuries in uh, soldiers. Uh, one interesting point was that it was basically in men only. When they looked at the female soldiers, they found that the confidence interval crossed zero, which basically there was a, a slight trend towards increased injury, but it wasn't significant. So in the men, it was. Um, and I don't, I don't really make anything of that. Um, maybe some people have some different ideas on that, but I don't have any. Anyway, any, any questions come in? No? Nothing? Okay. All right, guys, uh, that's it for episode seven of Ask Concussion Doc. We will see you next week. If you weren't able to catch us live, make sure you watch us on YouTube um, after on our YouTube channel, uh, Complete Concussion Management, and also on uh, SoundCloud as well as iTunes, the Complete Concussion Management podcast, so that you can listen and learn while you drive to work.